Hello, I am Lee Hedgebantelis, the Principal of Bryden's Lawyers, and welcome to another episode of Law Pod. And today we have another special guest with us, a gentleman with whom we enjoy a relationship, both personal and professional, but not directly involved through Bryden's Lawyers as such, but in my other capacity as Chair of the West Tigers. So it is a very warm welcome today to Tim Sheens. Good morning, Lee. Thank you, Tim. For the, thank you for sharing your time with us. I know you're a very busy man this time of the year. <laughs> yes. And we're just chatting about how busy, about your current role at the West Tigers, and you've been with us for a little while now as the director of football Mm. you and I have spoken at length about the role and how you approach it and I think the fact that you've been a former coach yourself you understand the sensitivities of being a coach and what the director of football role should be how have you approached that role noting that you are not the head coach and you're not employed as a coach how do you balance all of those sorts of demands on the director of football coaching role it's a good question Lee I think yeah director of football basically a general manager type role it's a it's a behind the desk role uh, I'm behind the desk so there's a bullet comes in the window every now and then but uh, we, we get our share of those bullets as well <laughs> you're sure. they, they go past your desk yes. into the front office so, so there's enough brains in the outfit mate to um, for me not to have to worry about those things so but I do get to training watch training and take an interest in what's going on obviously and so I'm there to help wherever I can but it, overall it's from a administrative role in mostly. There's an old saying about you know you don't buy a dog so you can bark yourself. You employ people uh, to do the job that they're required to do, um, and you've, you've got to have absolute faith. But in saying that, um, two wins, and all of a sudden you're in in the area where most clubs, where a good percentage of clubs are, two or three wins, mm-hmm. that, that, and uh, so absolutely. all of a sudden we're back in it. By the skin of our teeth, admittedly, mm. we'd like to win a bit more confidently and not have to fight for it at the end, but at least we have, and we did. I mean, we had one of those games go against us when you look at the uh, Titans mm. uh, coming off the post, hitting you know, into the end goal. You know, as, as we, cl- we were cleaning the ball up, we, we got hit and you know, they score and win the game you know, on the death. So after keeping them a good side like them who scored 20 points a game, to virtually one try in the last minute of the game or minute and a half of the game. So yeah, look, and I think it's I think everyone acknowledges too that we probably don't have our best seventeen on the paddock at the moment. I mean, no, I mean, that's a, right. a credit to the boys who are playing and who have played mm. so well and they've mm. done a phenomenal job. But there are others, of course, who are coming back from injury, and there's some that we may not see again this year, unfortunately. Mm. Others that we're hoping to get back the next week or two. So the team will strengthen as we move along. Yeah. But uh, it, it is challenging. We're not the only team in that, that position, of course. Uh, injuries are something that every de- team has to deal with. But it mm. just seems unusual the amount of injuries that we've got so yeah. early in the year. Yeah, well, a lot of them started before the season. With Adam Dewey, for instance, Tommy Talon with knee, the dreaded knee surgery from last season and then of course losing young Sean Bloor uh, who would have started the second row for, with the same injury uh, during season which is a season ending injury you know the, the ones you just um, you know we lost Robbie Farrer in 04 for a season before uh, uh, with a exact same thing so yeah they're the ones that really hurt you know shoulder reconstructions knee reconstructions are basically you can almost count them out for the season mm. but in 2005 going back that far halfway through the year we were 11th so you know uh, and then we got most of the players back now I'm not sure how many we're going to get back won't sure young Shawnee Bloor won't be back but uh, you know Adams Adams predicted to be round 14 Tommy a few weeks after that Um, most of the current guys uh, AJ will be back so we're we're looking a lot stronger in as long as we don't lose too many you Mm -hmm. can always take a bump and a bruise for a week or two here or there even a suspension, you know, we had Jackson out for mm. three weeks. 
but we don't want um, that serious knee shoulder thing to happen anymore if we no. can help it this year. Just just on the ACL, right? I mean, you hear you hear the word ACL now more than I've ever heard it. Mm. Are you seeing more ACL injuries in the game today than ever before? Yeah, it's it's unusual to see it happen in preseason. Um, we've had a couple of those, but they're all different types too. You you, you take. Um, uh, Adam Adam Adams was just a, a ligament tear, just the ligament itself. Whereas Tommy Talau had um, collision involved in it, and of course other other uh, damage was done to the knee. So it depends on the level of damage as well. Sean Bloor jumped up for a ball to catch it, hit the ground, and stepped off his leg to avoid a defender, and the knee went straight away. So yeah, it, it's it's hard to say. With the collisions and with the um, and the type of tackling, which is holding a guy up and then chopping his legs down, that doesn't help those things no. either. That's 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 definitely headed for knee injuries. Not always uh, ACL; it can be MCL as well or PCL. So you know you get a number of ligaments in the knee which uh, are are attacked regularly in the in and around the ruck. So. Um, and there can be a bit of a delay in treatment as well. I saw young Betty Walsh the other day at the um, start of the Harvey Norman's women's competition. And she did a knee, I think, almost a month ago, and she hasn't had the surgery as yet. Mm. Uh, and she was saying or explaining that uh, the, the injury's got to settle down, the swelling's got to settle down, exactly. she says, and, th- and then have the surgery. Exactly. And yeah. then the 12 months starts from the time of the surgery. So it's effectively 13 months from the yeah. time of the injury. Well, I think in the women's game, that, uh, there's a fair bit of it happening there, I believe. Although I can't be 100%, other than I've heard that a number of the girls are copying it, knee and shoulder, the two classic uh, injury areas outside of ankle, but they're mainly knees and shoulders are the, are the real major contact points in, in our game. And the girls are just coming to terms with that. You know, the muscle mass around the knee and the shoulders uh, take time. In the men's game, the kids, the young blokes are, are working hard in the gym from the time they're 14 or 15. So I think the girls are a little bit behind that. That's, But the contact is getting heavier and heavier as they get fitter and fitter. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is an issue. It is an issue for... Um, for both men's and women's games, but um, in saying that, you know, we you always expect when you play our game to, to visit the hospital. No, you just hope, absolutely, you just hope not too many times. No, no, it's a serious impact sport. There's no doubt mm. about it. When you're talking about the average weight now in the first grade footballers, it'd have to be around 100 kilos. Oh, yes. I think Jackson's 105, is he? Or 103, I think. 103. Yeah. Noffer's 96. That's yeah, a, that's yeah. a winger. That's a winger. That's I right. mean, do you remember? You remember Bill Noonan mm. went to a um, an event for Bill Noonan at the Canberra League Club quite some time ago to raise money for him because he was in a in a, in a difficult way. Yeah. I think it was Alzheimer's as well that he was suffering with, and they were saying his playing weight as a prop forward was 96 kilos. And yeah. I said, well, that's that's fullback now yeah i was play i played i went into the forwards played second row and then into the front row 96 kilo would have been the biggest for me mind you we didn't have the weight training that the boys have these days and a big man they used to talk about a big man being 16 stone you know that type of thing arthur beats him and then but a lot of that was belly Mm, (laughs) dallas donnelly my my head went straight to dallas donnelly So uh, there was a lot of weight carried there, but there wasn't anything like the, well, you've got to remember it was part-time. Uh, a lot of the guys, though, if they had jobs where they were throwing things around, um, you know, lifting during the day and working, they were physically fit. Olsen Filipana? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah running, the, the, uh, the running garbage, behind the garbage, the garbage run. truck <laughs> when you had to run and actually pick the bins up. <laughs> that's right, actually um, do the job. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, some of the guys worked in that sort of business and, and so that was naturally strong. But the weight training of today has just changed the game dramatically. Often people are called upon to compare teams or individuals from today to those in the past. Now, 
I don't remember Johnny Raper and the others. All I know is the history and mm. you know all the hype about these boys being recognised perhaps the greatest players. And then you look, come forward, and you've got the immortals from today. And it's very hard to compare. You, you look at um, heavyweight boxing. You know, mm. was Tyson a better boxer yes. than Muhammad Ali or, or, the, or yeah. the reverse? Yeah. But in terms of the game today, if, if last year's premiers, Penrith, played the 1969 Balmain team, what would the score be? It's an interesting one because it depends on the rules. Oh, okay. You know, okay. When you start thinking about back to, it was a five metre rule mm. and uh, there was unlimited tackle. So, you know, that's when, um, the, you know, there was a four tackle and then a six tackle uh, came in through the 70s, I think it was. So, yeah, there's a change of the rules. Mm. Um, the fact that um, we play left and right with centres and second rowers and in those days they played both centres together, it, it's, it's probably one of those things where you, you're better off talking about the fact that could the individual of then play today? Mm. Yeah, I think most of them can okay. or could uh, based on the proper training. If they got the sort of training that the guys got today, the Rapers and well Bob Fulton mm. easily and, um, you know, they were special players then. They'd still be they'd still be special players these days. I mean, well, Johnny Raper carried the ball two hands mm. as a lock, played played with the ball, and all of a sudden everyone's talking about having lock forwards these days that can play with the ball. You know, well, John John was doing it in the sixties. Well, I shouldn't have used the '69 Balmain team as an example because I'm having lunch with Gary Leo in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> he's going to get very upset, and he's going to suggest that he would have known what the answer would have been. Well, Gary, Gary, uh, Gary, and I butted heads in scrums uh, when the scrum was a scrum, you mm. know. But again, as I said, the scrum was needed because it was an unlimited tackle. Yeah. So if you didn't have a, a way of winning the ball back, you know, the other team had the ball for the game. Mm. So, um, but look. Players are players. Um, yeah, the the added ability to full time train, to be able to um, and earn the money that they're earning today, given you know the the athletes of then and today. Yeah, there's plenty of players from those days yep. could definitely have played. You know, the speed of you know, Ken Irvine, for instance, would 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 be brilliant today. Mm. You know, I don't think there's many in the game be as quick as Ken Irvine. Yep. So um, and those sorts of guys. So. But you're right, though. I mean, the advance in technology as well has oh, yeah. gone to another level. I yeah. mean, I went to the captain's run a couple of weeks ago, and Jess Adams is there with all of her technology, and they're monitoring the boys mm. even during a captain's run. That's right. So that, yeah. that's all being monitored. So, yeah. you know, so if, if the boys in the 60s, 70s had that level of technology available, who oh. knows? Yeah. yeah, well, you know, they, you're they, comparing they didn't even have oranges. a mobile phone, mate. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a bad thing. Uh, a bad yeah, thing. possibly. But, uh, you know, with drone footage yeah. for, for, for watching training and... And so many other things that uh, that they've got today. Yeah, there's no doubt that the crossover would would happen. You know, yeah. from players in those days as well. Okay. Yeah, there's no doubt. All right. Well, enough about today. Then let's go back to the beginning where it all started. Your first contact with the game of rugby league. Uh, primary school uh, with the nuns. Where um, at uh, Penrith. St. Dom's? Uh, no, no, I was. St. Dom's was my high school. Okay. And then I went to St. Greg's for the yep. last couple of uh, year, uh, 11 and 12. I yep. boarded at St. Greg's in 67 and 68. Um, and when it was MCS, uh, Metropolitan Catholic Schools, and uh, we won it in 68, uh, beat Parramatta Marist. So uh, a Penrith boy born and bred? Yes. Fam yeah, family all from Penrith? Uh, all from Penrith. Um, Generational? Like yeah, go yeah. Back? Like my, my ancestry is from England, uh, Ireland and um, Scotland, um, a Frenchman who actually, one of my relatives in 1908 in the Balmain uh, versus West, which is the first game of football. The first game of rugby league, the that's rug right. The fullback is a relation, is no. a great uncle of mine, a Frenchman, 
who came over, the sailor, his dad came over and, and, and this was his son. Uh, Regent was the surname and um, 1908 West played Balmain and um, he was the fullback so well, that's a bit of pedigree well when it was 2008 and we were doing the centenary uh, I got a medal from um, the game for the relatives you know, of all the you know they found me and that's where I found out about the uh, about the relative and uh, yeah he played at Balmain for three or four years as a as a fullback yeah now, it's interesting you mentioned the nuns because, of course, Tommy, the late Tommy Radonikus mm. tells the same story, that it was the nuns yeah. who introduced him to the game. So yeah. obviously they had a pension for the game. Well, we were playing. They kept us busy by <laughs> running us around. Uh, yeah. They always said, you know, boys, if you keep them, if you keep them uh, running around terrorising, you know, playing games and doing this and that, they don't get into too much trouble. So <laughs> That was the theory. <laughs> that was the theory of the okay. Morris Brothers too, out at Campbelltown. But uh, no, I played Morris Brothers, uh, Christian Brothers, St Dom's, Morris Brothers at at uh, St Gregory's, right. and uh, so rugby league was in it was in those schools. Whereas GPS was rugby union, we were all rugby league schools. And and so St Dom's didn't offer year eleven and twelve. Is that why you moved over? No, 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 no. Mum moved me over because I was uh, getting my. I lost my dad when I was twelve, in a motor car accident. So um, mum was raising us, and uh, I was getting a little bit um, out of control. So she stuck me in boarding school. Mm. And uh, my poor brother, yeah, I, I got a two-year sentence and uh, he got a five-year sentence. Mm. He was there sitting with me and the head brother at the time, Brother Anselm, said, oh, I'll take the young bloke too. And he'd only come along to sit, you know, to, what, you <laughs> to support... Um, to support mum and ended up getting jammed into school as well. Okay, well you might refer to it as a sentence, but you obviously must have made an impression on, on them because you were school captain in 68. <laughs> so you did very well, I mean, to become school captain. Well, the boys voted me in. I don't think I was the popular one, oh, with, uh, <laughs> the, popular one with uh, the headmaster. Uh, I think he had his eye on another guy uh, who ended up as vice captain. No, the, um, the boys, because I was playing football in 67, 68, I think I got voted in by the class. So... Um, but I remember the um, the head, head brother saying to me, you wouldn't have been my first choice, he said. So okay. that probably tells you something. So being a, you know, part of that first 13 obviously put you in good stead with all <laughs> yes, the boys. it did. Okay. Well, I was captain of the swimming team. You know, basically at St Greg's it was, you know, keep us busy, keep us training. We, we were, you know, swam against Michael Wendon in 1968. The year he went to the Olympics at um, won the 100 and the 200. Mm. Uh, at Mexico, so um, I can say I swam against him, mind mm. you, I'd got nowhere near him. Uh, he was out of the pool by the time we finished. No, it was a, um, a good years, mm. uh, you know, it, it played with a, a, a lot of good players, most of them were farmers and Islander boys uh, from, you know, Papua New Guinea and uh, Samoa and all those, we'd come to the school and all of them went back, you because know, it was a dairy college, it was an agricultural college mm. at the time, and a thousand acres of land up there, which has all gone to uh, to uh, real estate now, they sold all the, Absolutely, most yeah. of the land up there. All yeah. housing development. Mm. How important is schoolboy footy? Oh, very, I think, yeah. very, yeah, yeah. I think... Um, and even these days, it's even better organised than obviously in those days. And, uh, you know, once things like uh, Commonwealth Bank Cup started mm. and that type of thing, which was, you know, Pete Mulholland uh, and St Greg's were very good at it initially when it first started. And then the the schools now, have, you know, you've got sports colleges and things now, a little bit like America, where, where schools go hunting the good young athletes mm. to come to their school. So, yep. yeah, I think that's helped put rugby league, you know, it's strengthened because, you know, the, for the pyramid... The base of the pyramid has to be strong mm. and big, and so that's where you're collecting all your school yep. kids. 
to get you know that really good game uh, in first grade you know and those good athletes you need to be you know need to be working with thousands and thousands of kids and of course I've been to England and seen the lack of it in school over there is really impacts their game. Mm. Now you spoke about GPS schools and the like and of mm. course they've always lent, lent towards union. Yes. But that's become a happy hunting ground now for rugby league, hasn't it? It's yes. a very fertile place, and there, there's a lot of activity mm. in those mm. GPS schools. I mean, even even us at the West Tigers, that's right. Uh, we've done something similar recently. Yeah, and I think we're going to continue down that vein, as are other clubs. Yeah, well, they, they offer scholarships now to get the kids because they're competing with each other too. The GPS schools and the kids will play league still, but they also play rugby mm. and uh, other other sports for the school. So, um, yeah, but there are some pretty lucrative. Um, uh, scholarships available for good young players, good young athletes, basically, because some of the kids that we've got are, you know, play basketball and mm. are athletes at athletics and things like that. So, yeah, it's become very competitive. I know even St Greg's now basically have people out there chasing and encouraging people to come to the to come to the college. Yeah. Mind you, you know, a scholarship's good value because when you consider some of the costs, you know, thirty-five, forty-five thousand dollars a year or something. At private school, yep. not everyone can afford that. That's no, for sure. It's a lot, so, a, lot of um, money. a good a scholarship is yeah, you're blessed if you get a scholarship. Mm. Uh, a lot of the uh, lawyer, doctor, dads who went there themselves, I suppose, can afford it, but yep. um, not every not everyone, particularly out out west, uh, Campbelltown way. As I say, I, I went to one of those schools. I went to Knox Grammar. Yeah, uh, my parents had a, a takeaway bar on the Central Coast. I can tell you, <laughs> my father had to cook a lot of hamburgers. I was going to sell a lot of barbecue yes. chickens to pay for those fees. There was yes. no discount, no scholarship. Yeah. I can assure you. Well, yeah, your dad plenty from that. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, all right, so that's schooling, and then your first contact then with professional rugby league was it still in your school days i mean how, how did how did penrith reach out to you how did that come about well, what happened my my grandfather played for penrith in the 20s and uh was the sheen's name was pretty well known in in penrith at the time we had a service station and car yards where they were they were salesmen my father and my grandfather and um but i got out of school at 68 and uh i trial for penrith in those days you just you're offered a trial so they offered me a trial at 69. I went down, trialled and got graded, but I got graded at the bottom end of third grade when those days first grade, second grade, open age, third grade. Said to the coach, does that mean I've got to wait for all, because I was on the list, the bottom of the list um, in third grade. And, he, and, he, and I said, does that mean I've got to wait to get a game, blah, blah, blah. And they said, who do you think you are, you know, basically. But I'd never been dropped from any team. I was always captain of most teams I've been. So I wasn't really happy. So I walked out of the club and went and played rugby union with a couple of mates, at um, which was second division rugby in um, Penrith. And then I went back in 70 and trialled again. And uh, I uh, stayed with them. And so from 70 to 82, uh, 13 years, I think, I played there. Had eight first grade coaches. So uh, Ooh, you think okay. um, it was a... The 70s was pretty uh, ordinary for Penrith, the chocolate yep. soldiers day. But I survived the 13 years anyway okay. and captained the side uh, at the back end of my career there. But, um, so that's where I got involved. Which one of those coaches do you think had the greatest influence on oh, you that, as a player? That's a good point. Um, yeah. Nearly all of them did, had something. You know, you, They all had different attitudes. Uh, a lot of ex-players like John Peard and... And Bob Boland initially was the, one of the original coaches. Leo Trevina uh, a, a played back for West as a halfback. Bob Boland that was the Balmain connection. They all came over in the early, late 60s. Penrith went in in 67 to first division with Cronulla and uh, became a 12-team competition from a 10-team competition. And, uh, yeah, that's where I really started to take notice of, you know, who John Rapers and all these mm. guys were really up to that point. 
yeah, I mean, there, there was very little television, televised games, and they were all played on a Sunday and played in Sydney. It was a Sydney-based competition, very strongly Sydney-based. Mm. You know, even Penrith was out of town for them in those days. Yeah, so uh, that's that's where it came from. We had, from the point of view of coaches, all of them I learned something from, Lee, I think. Okay. Yeah, all of them. Can you pinpoint one coach or one time when the coaching seed was planted? When, when in your career as a player did you think, mm, I think I could end up doing the, this coaching gig? Or did I, that come I, later, do you I, think? I never did. I okay. never thought about coaching. Um, I was in real estate. I had my own business and, um, in Penrith. So that's where I was, that's where I was headed. You know? um, the salesmen in our family, my father and grandfather were car salesmen and had a business. And uh, when they both passed away, that business dropped away. So I went, actually, I did law initially. Mm. I did 12 months law. But football dragged me away from that. I was an article clerk getting $18 a week, <laughs> which was six above the award. Six dollars above your board. Anyway, um, the guy was Ron Mulock. I don't know if you remember the name. Uh, very well. Yeah, but yeah, Ron, very well. Ron, uh, Ron took me on mm. as an article clerk. And Doug Timmons, a uh, solicitor at the time, was Mulock and Timmons there. I think he was mayor at Penrith for a while. Are they, there, are they, Ron. Are they not still with us? Are they still? Uh, uh, Ron's gone. Is he um, Ron's gone? Yeah, Ron's okay. gone. But I'm not sure about Doug. Yeah. But Doug did um, all the litigation and Ron mm. was the, you know, uh, all your real estate. Yep. And so I met a lot of real estate guys. So um, in the year I did it, uh, I was in, I can't think now, what was it, 1970, I think. I did a year of law as an article clerk in Sydney Uni. And uh, then I went into real estate and um, ended up 12 years. I think I, while I played, I was in real estate most of the time so I never thought about coaching at mm. all to be quite honest I, I would have gone back to that business I think but I, it was just offered to me in 84 um, 82 I finished with Penrith 83 yep. I ended up in Campbelltown playing for the Roos uh, we had a really successful year you know we won the competition played for Southern Division we won the Caltex Cup the New South Wales competition uh, captain country seconds played Roy Simmons Royce was City seconds mm. and then uh, Penrith were in all sorts of trouble asked me to a seminar at the end of 83 in November they had six guys on contract at the end of November when everyone else was getting ready for Christmas and um, anyway they were talking about this that and the other thing I remember it was November 22nd my son's birthday and I had to get home so I had to leave early and the next day Roger Cowan rang me and offered me the coaching gig because uh, he said to Royce after the uh, after this after this huge meeting of that they'd had what do you think we should do and he said give him the coaching job which was me so i owe that to royce and i'm off to lunch today with him actually oh, um, good. yeah there's a lunch at st mary's yep. again for the raising money for dementia mm. and um so, uh, so, I, so is this so so co coach of what though Coach of Penrith first grade. I never so, coached anywhere else. So hang on, so you, you just <laughs> leapt into a first grade coaching position well, as your only, first job as a coach. Not, yeah, not only leapt okay. in, um, I was full time, so it was part time game. Okay. And they he named me because he liked the system in England. Roger, uh, a real advanced thinker, I always thought with Roger. He wasn't always liked by everyone because mm. you know, when you're the manager and you take big decisions, sometimes you put people off. Off, but he he um, offered me the role and call me football manager. So in fact, I did this, there's no salary cap, but I did the contracts. I, so I signed the players and did everything and sat around all day. So I planned all the training. I didn't have any S and C or of, you know, strength, any yeah. of that type of thing. I planned a lot. 
Well, that, that uh, 12 months as in. an article clerk would have helped you out with all those contracts <laughs> and the Possibly. like. Yeah, it would have helped you. Possibly, with that. but, uh, you know, the, um, well, we, we only had, we didn't have any sign-ons. The seven guys that were on contract, six or seven there, had contracts. Royce was one of them, and uh, the rest got offered um, match payments only. I had to offer everyone. I got Greg Alexander to play for the club for match payments only. Unbelievable. Yeah, so that started in 84. Uh, I was lucky enough to win the, a couple of coaching awards, the Dally M and a Coca-Cola Coach of the Year that year. And uh, I've never sort of gone back to real estate, mate. Okay. Mm. Did coaching work out as you had expected? Did you enjoy it more than you expected? Or yeah, was it... I did. Okay. Yeah, I did. And did you really find your calling in coaching? Is that what you felt that you went to do? Well, I like I like to think so, mate. Yeah. Um, I've been in it a fair. I've been in the game. You know, uh, I've done this sort of work in England too. You know, the sort of co- the managing role, not coaching as well. So I've had both both options. I've done a bit of that, but the. the my role right now is still a little bit with what I was doing way back in 1984. That is, sitting around all day at the desk, sorting out what was going to happen, except I was preparing to coach rather than preparing and working with the coach. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it, I was, I think Roger said to me, um, if we win one game, we'll be happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's where we were in 1984. But we missed the semis, which was top five. Yep. We missed the semis by one win. Um, Parramatta beat us the last game. 23,000 were a massive crowd. Um, the next year we made the um, semis for the first time, which I probably rate still my best. With all the things mm. I've done, I still rated my best achievement, given that we'd never made a semi-final from 1967 mm. and we had to beat Manly in a preliminary like a, an extra, like we finished equal with Manly we had to play them on the Tuesday and then play back up and play Parramatta on the Saturday in the semi where we got beat but just getting to the semi-final for the first time um, in I don't know 20 years or whatever mm. it was um, was a huge achievement for me personally because I'd been through the 70s mm. and got hammered you know because Cronulla came into the competition the same time as same Penrith, time. right? That's right. But they tasted success a lot earlier, yeah, didn't they? they I did. mean, they were in grand finals in the early seventies against That's Manly. Right, so, yeah. so they really they did well within four or five years to be in a grand final, yeah. a new club. So yeah. it took Tommy Penrith B- a little bit longer. Tommy Bishop, everyone was buying English players in those days. Yeah. You had to have one or two English players, and uh, we we bought Mike Stevenson, Hooker, who I learned a lot from because he coached us for one. He's one of the eight coaches. And Bill Ashurst, a big back rower, who would would make our first great side today. And Mike would too. Mike Stevenson was the first running nine I'd ever seen. Every other nine was a hooker. In other words, you had to win the scrums and you went to dummy half and passed the ball. You never moved out of there, just chased, you passed. Uh, Mike would come out of dummy half and play. You know, there'd be run rounds from him and he'd be doing things. I'd never seen it before. So, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about what do you learn, things like that. I learnt from you know, why my style of football is a little bit like that with the nines running and playing laterally, not just running forward. So he had to win the scrums as well. Mm. But um, he was, um, he was, you know, so different. It wasn't funny with compared to the other nines. Bill Ashurst, the back row, was the first player to kick around the corner in Sydney, you know, with the old leather ball. Yep, yep. And uh, so, you know, they were, they were quite, they, they, they took us up a level. But um, Tommy Bishop, Definitely, and um, was one of those guys at Cronulla that really, and they, you know, they come up with, um, you know, two or three outstanding players over there. Uh, Eddinghausen was later, but mm. uh, Stevie Rogers was yep. 
was the gun kid that came through he, he was. there. And Penrith, of course, had been offered him and knocked him back. That's usual. Penrith mm. knocked back Malcolm Reilly as well because <laughs> we had enough locks. Um, Mark Harris, we didn't need another centre. So, yep. yeah, they, we, you know, the recruitment um, bungles mm. uh, of the 70s. Um, Play, I could, I could, talk, to you, I could yeah. talk to you all night about it. Yeah. Okay. All right, so, so then Penrith, as I say, you start coaching and whatnot. And we spoke earlier about the change in technology, you know, mm. the, the fitter, stronger, better. Yeah. But coaching is no different. I mean, no. the, the impact on coaching's changed as well. Far is. more sophisticated yeah. now than it ever was. And you would have seen all of that coming through the 80s, for example. Well, in 1984, I won uh, M Coach of the Year, but I also won what they call the Coca-Cola Coach of the Year. Now, it didn't last long, but it was voted on by the coaches. So it was a huge, a huge... Uh, honour for me mm. to be voted in by you know, the Warren Ryans and yep. and all those guys to get it. And that included visits to uh, NFL and uh, college, the you know, UCLA and these sorts of colleges. And it just opened my eyes about professional sport and weightlifting. Mm. Uh, in those days, you know, we I actually, um, I tell the story, I went to UCLA and, and went into their gym and talking to their performance people. And they said, oh, what do you do in rugby league? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, coach, and he said, oh, yeah, what sort of weights? And I said, oh, we don't do much in weights because it slows you down. Because the old, old saying was, you know, if you do leg weights and all this sort of thing. And, and a lot of our guys, you know, they were light dumbbells and, you know, ropes and lifting, carrying logs around and, you know, you name it. We, we did those sort of things. But, uh, you know, there was no muscle, huge muscle mass mm. on guys, but they were fit. But... Um, Anyway, they showed me around, and, and I'll, I'll shorten the story. We got, I got everything wrong. Every time they said, what do you think this guy is? And I'd say who I thought he was, and he'd say, no, no, he's a middle-distance runner, whatever. And there was a guy, um, he, was, he, had, he was squatting, and the bar was bent. It was, had that much weight on it. And I said, oh, he'd be your weightlifter, yeah? He was, he's, no, he's our 100-metre sprinter. And that, that moment changed my complete atti- attitude to, to what, what we thought over here so I introduced weight training at Penrith but particularly at Canberra when we really got serious down there because the AIS had the equipment at Penrith we didn't have the equipment we didn't have a gym and uh, the boys didn't do weights if they did they did a little bit of stuff at any local gym but nothing like uh, Olympic lifts that uh, we did at Canberra because the AIS had all the equipment so we used to go in there all the, the platforms and the heavy weights plus they also knew the techniques of of how to lift so we work with them and use their equipment and that really started off you know the guys you know got heavier stronger more muscle mass and eventually that led to you know everybody doing mm, it fair yeah. enough all right so you finish up with penrith yeah end up at canberra yeah by choice or yeah yeah, 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 yeah. so they came looking for you and no i what happened i i told roger cow in the start of um 87 sorry it would be my last year with the fourth year with the club and uh I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I knew that I was starting to run out of ideas and things like that, you know, I, I, and we didn't have the money at the time. Roger actually moved into the new club in 84, the first year I started coaching, and they were still heavily in debt, so there wasn't a lot of money for football. And um, Wayne Bennett had coached, we'd gone to um, Canberra with Don and was co-coaching with Don Ferner in 87, and they'd played us in a, a trial early that year, a pre-season trial, and they whacked us you know and I thought and I thought we were a pretty good side you know and I said who the hell is Gary Coyne and Gary Belcher and mm. Kevin Walters and all these kids you know uh he'd take he'd taken them all down from Brisbane anyway um but they weren't well known anyway I um 
halfway through the year, um, Bennett obviously the uh, the Broncos were coming in in '88, mm. so they they hunted head hunted uh, Wayne, and of course Canberra made the eighty uh, the eighty seven grand final too, and no one no one anticipated that. So I ended up inheriting a grand final side because uh, halfway through the year uh, they were negotiating with Canberra to get Wayne, and um, I think they end up buying his contract out to get him out of Canberra, and so. Um, uh, John McIntyre was looking for a coach and through uh, a journo mate, uh, Tony Adams, who you'd, who uh, affectionately known as the Mole, um, said, oh, Tim Sheens is looking for a job. And uh, so John met me, it wasn't far from here actually, mm. just down past Liverpool there and um, halfway from Penrith to Canberra, we had lunch, shook hands, no contract, that shook hands All and done. Did, did the deal and started in 88 with Canberra. What was the attraction? I mean, young team, new, new, yeah, fran- relatively yeah. new franchise, yeah, new, yeah. new place. Yeah, new well, I signed. I signed middle of the year. I had no idea they're going to make this, the grand final. Then I followed them a bit, obviously, uh, as well as Coach Mayne's side, uh, and um, they made the grand final. And I realised that you know they had a pretty, as I said in pre-season, I, I realised it was a pretty good side. This side, you know. So it was just fortunate it fell into my lap in that regard, and then I. But then I had to follow a grand final coach, mm. uh, or coaching staff, you know, because Don N and Wayne coached. So '88 uh, we ran third, and I remember the chairman Jim Woodger got up and said uh, how disappointed they were. The this third. is a club. <laughs> this is a club that uh, had had hardly ever made the semis and then jumped into a grand final. Anyway, '89. Uh, good story. Quick story. '89. They. Um, we started poorly because Wayne, Mal had broken his arm and again and uh, we'd had a few other problems and we, we started poorly, a bit like this year with the Tigers. Mm. Anyway, the board met apparently to say, well, you know, maybe we should get rid of Tim mm. Sheens. Anyway, um, it didn't happen and we ended up winning the next seven games or something straight when all the key players came back and, and end up, you know, virtually leading the comp. And... Uh, uh, I fronted the board and asked them again, would they be int- were they interested in sacking me? And Les McIntyre, the chairman at the time, who wasn't at the previous mm. meeting when they spoke about it, said, well, ever I'm here, you're here. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's, a, that's a vote of confidence. That shut down. Yeah. yeah, well, nine years later when I left, uh, yeah. he tried to keep me. He oh. tried to keep me. Did Les, he and I had a great relationship and uh, that's John's dad. Yeah. Um, you also tell a very funny story about signing of Ricky Stewart. Not not your yeah. not your decision. <laughs> well, no salary cap, of course. Yeah. But we had at the time uh, the McIntyres and the Stewarts, like Ricky's dad, and that's mm. well known in town. And uh, Rick had played junior rep footy, but he'd gone to St Edmunds College, which is a rugby school, so he was playing rugby union. Anyway, um, quick story. He went on tour to Argentina and. Um, the uh, halfback at the time, Far Jones, was out, and um, and the coach um, uh, didn't pick Ricky. Um, so Rick got apparently upset about. It. I did, this is the story behind the scenes that I didn't know anything about. And he approached apparently approached the club when he came back about playing league. And uh, John McIntyre, being a good mate of the dads, um, you know, was interested. So he signed him, and then told me about it. And now I had I had Ivan Henjack and Kevin Walters. Chris O'Sullivan, Peter Jackson at 5'8", or Laurie Daly at 5'8". So, you know, I had five or six very competent mm-hmm. players, very competent players who, who, 
were, which had really, in uh, the first part of 88, we were going really well. And this was halfway through, three quarters way through 88. The next thing he tells me, he signs a, uh, another halfback. Anyway, um, I watched him play in reserve grade and he didn't take long before I picked him over the mm -hmm. others, which uh, a couple of them have never spoken to me since. Okay. But um, <laughs> when you got a back line that yeah. consisted of Malman Ingram, John Ferguson and Gary yeah. Belcher and Laurie Daly out in the centres and so on, you want a halfback who can throw a ball mm. a fair distance, and yep. he couldn't. Of course, he could kick both feet, and the leather yep. ball in those days, he could he could thump that ball downtown yep. all day. So his rugby skills alone, mm. he wasn't a naturally running halfback. He developed that as he as he, but as a rugby union, yeah, you, know, you go to the back of the rack mm. and you pass and you kick, don't you? You know, it's um, it's almost. Uh, you know, you don't do a lot of running. Mm. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, so. And he was signed. Um, at the end of the day, John John always holds that over me. I okay. signed him, yeah, and you didn't want him. Okay. Yeah.